Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaos. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, where we are going to travel to see some caves, but not by train, by a magical automobile. Uh, before that, we do that, though, we would like to thank our listeners and our Patreon supporters at the top of the show, as we enjoy doing each time. Uh, thank you very much for supporting the show. If you would like to join them in supporting the show, you can at patreon.com or slash the old ways podcast. And so now we'll go through introductions and then we'll get to tonight's frivolity to my right. Hi, this is Mike and I'm playing Mr. James Robert Fraser, who seems to be playing gooseberry today. It does seem to be that way. It does. Absolutely. And to Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, I'm Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and I am sitting properly in the back of the vehicle being driven around, as is my right. That's correct. That is correct. You should be at the back of the vehicle, as befits a, a person of your station. Absolutely. Uh, at the end of the table. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith, and I'm also sitting in the back of the vehicle, but I'm holding my friend lovingly with the safety on. Hmm. That's strange. I wasn't aware that Lady Elizabeth had a safety. Uh, to Giles is right. Hi, this is Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger. And I'm not sure of the rules of the road here in Trieste, but I think it can't be that different from where I'm from. <laughs> like any good American, you'll simply make the rules up as you go. And last but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And hopefully just Richard Courtney and not the gear stick or the handbrake. Mm. Given the precarious position, you will find yourself here in this, um, we'll just say, leathered out vehicle. Who knows what may befall you? So we'll raise the curtain tonight as the automobile, this found Fiat, uh, churns to life. And with the necessary gear packed up, to go scout out some caves. Miss Bellinger, you put this vehicle into gear. Slow change in the combustion engine and you begin driving off down the road. Back towards the main roads, which will lead you eventually to the east and your destination. So because this is the first time We've really had a player do any sort of automobile driving. Just for our listeners at home and abroad, we would want to make sure that everybody understands the rules that we'll be placing the investigators under. Because Ms. Bellinger's skill is about 40%, she's nearly a professional driver at that skill level in any Call of Cthulhu game I would run. What we will say is that we won't ask her for a role unless the situation demands it. She's a good driver. She's fairly, well, she's better than anybody else at this point. 
She has a nice working vehicle again at this point. And uh, so we won't be asking her to do anything special just yet. Unless she decides to do any sort of invigorated driving as she drives. So by distance, Miss Bellinger, you know it's about 20 miles to the east. You are driving at night with the headlamps on, uh, clearly. And uh, there are a, the wheel, of course, uh, on this side of the car is a little different than what you're used to. <laughs> and you've got, at that, in that front seat, you've got Fraser, and of course you've got Professor Courtney right next to you. And so, you're, well, you're not a very large person at all. You're You're a little bit jammed in. Really, it's the humor that everyone else will have is your uh, movement of the wheel as the wheel for this auto is very large. It's almost comically large for someone of your size. But what, what I'll do is I will ask for an initial impression of how you're driving. So we will get, we will get a first drive auto roll just to see okay. how well you uh, make it out of the city and uh, what you might encounter That's a 37 under 40. 37. Excellent. In a row. So you drive out from Anton's farmhouse, having essentially stripped it bare of any useful items, minus Paul, and a secret <laughs> a secret car, um, the gun and the knife therein, all of that has been extracted. And you're now driving down the road. When you get to probably a couple of miles back towards the city because you have to go back towards Trieste to get to the road that you want to get on. Uh, you come upon something a little further down the road. The lights there shine down the road and you see that there are a couple of automobiles parked just outside the city proper and they're parked in sort of a V pattern in the road. And you see the headlights, the headlamps begin to illuminate several men in black uniforms. And that is when it suddenly dawns on you, oh, right. The black shirts have been watching the roads. And so your approach is maybe half mile off at this point. And so I would ask you as the driver, what steps will you be taking, if any, to slow down, speed up, go around, Etc. when it comes to this little group of black shirts. I don't want them to catch on to what I'm doing, so I would probably initially drive at a reasonable pace, possibly slightly slow down as if I was going to stop uh, and then foot on the ground, on the, on the floor. Interesting. So you're attempting to say coax them into a false pretense. Mm-hmm. So what I'll ask you for then is I don't I don't think it's necessary for you to make another drive roll because you've made one at this mm -hmm. point and there isn't anything in the encounter right now that is going to precipitate another one. Mm -hmm. So you begin to slow down and you see a gentleman in this uniform step out. You can see he's covering his eyes from the headlamps and you see him start to wave as if he wants you to slow down. Mm -hmm. And then there's another man that comes from the other side, from the other auto, and you see 
he starts to make sort of a gesture with his hand up and down. Right? Down, down. He seems to be sort of indicating down. You're not sure what that means either because they don't do that in America. You're not really sure why that man is waving at you. But you get the sense that they're they're wanting you to stop. Mm-hmm. And so you make the decision to not stop. Correct. And so you mash your foot down on the accelerator. And this straight six engine all around the investigators roars to life. And the Fiat bolts forward. And so now that you are at speed going out, now I'm going to have you make a drive roll. Okay. Because you're trying to tuck the Fiat between these two cars. Mm -hmm. Very little extra room on either side. It will be a tight fit. Mm -hmm. Maggie's used to that, so it's okay. Understood. Nope, it's not. It's a 70 over 40. Okay, so I guess the uh, the question, of course, that I would have for you is, mm-hmm. do you wish to push that roll or do you wish to spend luck to make that a success? You could do either. Well, I don't have the luck for it. So I will be, it will in fact be pushing the roll. So I think that fate rewards those who are a little bit um, adventurous. And so I'm going to, through the hand of fate, give you advantage on this roll. Okay. Maggie's going to kind of uh, uh, try to... I'm trying to think of how Maggie would uh, push the roll. But she might... Could, did they have brights back then? Can I, uh, like... No, 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 they, they did don't. not. No, they mm. don't have brights per se. So if she was trying to alert <laughs> someone or to get them out of the way... I feel like I kind of want to call their bluff. Like, I think that's my pushing it is mm. is essentially doubling down on you better get the fuck out of my way. Mm, I like that. Fair enough. Give us a roll, and uh, we'll see where it lands. Well, that was worse, but it's okay. I have that extra D10, because the first one was an 84 over 40. And the second one's a 94? Fantastic. So you drive headlong (laughs) into this space, and we've pushed the roll, and now we've had a failure at a push. When you when you barrel forward, you line up the car as best as you can. And what I will do is I will deal some damage to the vehicle as you are going to strike something. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I'll just track the vehicle damage here. Don't worry about that. That's going to be on my end. So the car barrels forward, Mr. Fraser, and... Um, you begin to see something get very close to both of these headlamps. And for a moment, you believe that you're going to strike one of these vehicles. And you see Miss Bellinger veer back to the right. And then you realize that she's overcompensated and she veers back to the left. And before you can get a handle on things, before you can do anything other than call out really any of you in the vehicle, um, you do strike something. And what you strike is the left leg of one of these black shirts with the front of the car. And there is a sickening thump as he goes careening over the side. 
And as he goes up and over the car, Miss Bellinger, um, his head directly impacts the front windshield and sort of the metal framework therein. And you get gore across the front of the windshield as you make your way away from Trieste. And so now what I'm going to ask is for, um, of course, of course, minus our miner and minus Mr. Fraser, who've both been through the war, we'll have everyone make sand rolls at the gore and horror they've just seen Miss Bellinger strike strike into us. I'm dreadfully sorry about that. You call over your shoulder. Oops. Says Richard. I rolled an 83 over 46. I might be grabbing the steering wheel in a minute. <laughs> 30 under 68. 42 under 45. Ooh, just barely, Professor. Yeah. Um, okay. All of you who passed initially have also seen the dead. Uh, although this is vicious and although this is terrible, you don't believe the man is dead. You tell yourself that. Miss Bellinger, I am going to take three points of sanity from you. And... As I do, I'm going to have you make a power roll for me. I did pass my power roll, uh, 73 under 75. You feel it at the edge of your perception for just a moment before it fades. It nearly takes control of your fingertips and your shoulders and, moreover, your attitude. You feel the empowering portion of your mental framework from that deity form that you know exists in the back of your head you feel it come forward for a moment it comes forward in a single voice that says I don't need to apologize for that why did I apologize and then you sort of come to on the road still driving still floor to the pedal to the floor and you the speedometer here says 45 miles an hour and we pick back up in normal time now. Good God! We certainly deserved it. Simon's looking out the back window um, to see the reactions of the others. He doesn't give a crap what just happened. He's more concerned about people to start shooting at us. Yeah, so a couple of the men are obviously, they're scurrying about. The problem is for you, seeing out what happened out the back is it's evening now. And so seeing what's going on behind you is a little difficult. Um, you can hear out the window, you can hear them calling in Italian. Um, does anybody understand what they're saying? It doesn't really matter. As long as they're back here and we're moving ahead. Yes, I, I think you should go a little faster. Do we hear the sound of engines starting behind us? Indeed you do, Mr. Fraser. The sound of engines is accompanied soon after by pinpoints of light behind you on the road. They're coming after us. Well, I know. I'm moving the car as fast as I can. Maggie's flooring it. Um, I'm going to look around for maybe slightly obscured side turnings. If there's, I don't know if there's trees around or anything like that. Um, potentially a way of um, changing our uh, direction. Assuming we are not within their field of vision, being able to quickly get off off the main road, down a, a side road or something, hopefully. You're looking for a billboard to hide the car behind? Yeah, basically, yeah. 
so a one tree. one thing you would know specifically, Razor, is that you are hurtling towards uh, a border. That's good. So you are you, you begin to look for a place to hide in your remember. Oh, right. Just a few miles down the road there, there's a border. We just need to get across the border. Keep going, Miss Ballinger. We're nearly at the border. They can't cross that. That's where their jurisdiction ends. I knew we should have bought our bags. We, we, we wouldn't have had to come back to this horrible place. Maggie's attention is full on staying on the road while she's you know, driving as fast as she can. How did we not remember there'd be roadblocks? Damn it. You see... Sign up ahead in a language you don't understand. Well, that's pretty normal. Pretty common around here. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, let me see here. Italian. uh, Be Lady Elizabeth probably would be the only person who has uh, learned a few words in Italian. Right? Memory search. Yes, and I have a dictionary, a little pocket dictionary. (laughs) Pocket dictionaries. We did establish that. I picked one up in Milan. Uh, you see the words Yugoslavia. Oh my. We're headed into Yugoslavia. That's better than being here. At the border there, there's a small house at the side of the road. It looks like there's some sort of one-man gate, but you could easily drive around it. There's a little light on in the house. Think of it like a, a little side-of-the-road shack. Which is essentially what it is. And the question I have for you, Miss Bellinger, is are you driving around it? Yo, I'm not stopping for it. That's for sure. <laughs> Fantastic. Before you reach the border sign, the car does get fired at a few times. So we'll just see if there are any real lucky shots here. We'll just tell Anton that those uh, were already there. So the car does get winged once on the way out, but it does not appear to have penetrated anything, we'll say, important. But you hear the ricochet of bullet off um, of the back of the car. Uh, Simon, it is way too close, and likely for you, Lady Elizabeth, it feels like you need to duck, which is not very comfortable for you either. Certainly not very ladylike. Well, the question is, can I see if Miss Maggie's intending on driving through the gate or around the gate? You know, given the last uh, checkpoint or roadblock she went through, you're not really sure what the hell she's planning on doing. And so, again, it, it appears anyway she's going to veer hard left and then take up either either she's going to have to go through the gravel around this place, which would be a little tricky at this speed. Or she's going to blow right through the the gate into the next country. Oh, Maggie's going to blow through. Much like she does in any town. Correct. Oh, God. All right. Simon's just shaking his head. So, uh, Miss Bellinger, give us another drive roll. Okay, hopefully it goes better than the last time. It didn't. It's in 88 over 40. All right. Um, so, again, I'm happy to let you push the roll should you choose to decide. I would like to. Okay. Okay. Tell me how you're going to push the roll. So if the intention is to careen through the gate, um, Mm -hmm. do you change your mind at the last minute? I think so. I think Maggie is like realizing that it's not the best idea is to to careen around it instead. 
Uh, so Maggie's push is going to be to change course. Oh, I finally passed. It's a 35. Well, it would have been a 38 under 40 if you count the 10s uh, only. Okay. So you veer left. Everyone in the car suddenly has a very, very upset stomach. When you veer left, you pull onto the gravel. And at that speed, you feel the car go sideways. And the back of the car kicks out hard. And when it does, it feels almost like the car is going to flip. And you finally get enough traction underneath the wheels to regain your edge and your your footing and the car screeches back onto the other road leaving a, just an absolute cloud of dust and pebbles behind it. Is everyone okay back there? Quite. I'm looking out the window to see what's happening behind us. So what's happening behind you is two men step out from that little shed and they begin waving their arms but not at you. They're waving their arms at uh, several of the oncoming cars. And you can see the men stop in the middle of the road and stop them from entering Yugoslavia. They don't seem to be paying us any attention. They do not. Mm. It appears anyway that they're more, they're more interested in stopping anybody else from getting in. Did we notice if the car had some sort of Yugoslavian plates or something like that? No, you didn't check to see what kind of plates the car, or if the car had plates at all. Mm. You know, it's funny, I was actually thinking of doing that, but then I thought, <laughs> probably got Italian plates. It's, a, it's an Italian car. True. Yep, it's an Italian car in out in the middle of nowhere now. The road here continues on, Miss Bellinger, and you're able to ease off the gas pedal a little bit after a good five or ten minutes the exhilaration of being in a car chase, including of being shot at, is definitely something that will need to go in your travel guide. I'm sure we'll draw quite the crowd. Also, it, you know, I do plan on writing about how Trieste was a dreadful, horrible place, and being shot at on the way out is probably slicing on the cake there. Oh, easily. Easily. Getting to the caves is not terribly difficult. Following the map that you have and following the road does 90% of the work for you. You will arrive, of course, at these caves a little late in the evening. And so my question is going to be, based off of where you are, where are you going to land the car and the auto? Right? Where are you going to park at? It's somewhere near our cave cave wild destination. Because we don't, uh, we don't want to... Where should I park? We don't want to haul all of this a very long ways, do we? Poles and roping. No, but it might be a, not a bad idea to park the car somewhere where it can't be easily seen. Oh, so behind some bushes then? Yeah, perhaps I. Maggie will look for some. Yeah, not bushes. terribly difficult to find. There are uh, several large bushes that are available to you. You can probably step off the road with the car here. You'd be in. Uh, fairly forested area so you've got the large forest behind you and then there are some prominent bushes you can likely tuck the car into maggie will do her best then to hide the car away a bit okay car hidden now deep into the night probably eight maybe half past eight 
I don't remember. What time of year is it? It is, um, what, April? Mid-April? So it's probably still light then. Eight o'clock. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think, well... That's fine, yeah. So you're going to set up camp for the evening then? Or where will you be sleeping? I suppose that's a good question. You, you brought some poles and some blankets. Are we going into the caves during the day then? I thought that our plan was to go in while there was nobody else there. No, that, that was my plan as well. Certainly happy to do so. Yes, it is nighttime out. Uh, I checked the uh, uh, the sunrise, sunset, astronomical twilight, nautical twilight, civil <laughs> twilight for uh, Trieste in April. Oh, this is for October. It doesn't have April. It's probably still nighttime. Yeah, I mean, if you're arriving at eight thirty, it's 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 I'm, dark. I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> in in yeah, in April. Yeah. It is dark. Oh, we back to May. Yeah, sunset is around. Actual sunset is around, depending if it's the end of April or beginning, it is around 8 o'clock. Ooh. So, yes, a, a nice sun, sunset um, to accent your spelunking. How romantic, Richard. There's blood still on the windshield. Are there clouds? Yes. <laughs> it really illuminates the brain matter on the windshield. Ah, don't worry, I'm sure that's not the... Um, first death this car has seen Richard looks at the seats um I mean there is a bullet hole in the seat that's actually it's actually on the side that Mr. Griffith is on uh, and you do find a fresh bullet hole now in the back of the car but the car is seemingly fine how would you know when there's so many others there are only there's only one other <laughs> and Anton's gonna be so pissed that you stole his car and getting it shot up. <laughs> Just you wait. I have a question about that bullet hole. Mm, which one? In the back on the one in the back seat. Uh-huh. Exactly where in the back seat is it? I would say it is the passenger side of the window that the bullet hole is on. Is it on the back of the seat or the but you sit on the seat, you know, the, the base the back um, of the seat back of the seat is it roughly um in the center so yeah. if somebody was perhaps driving the car they could have turned around with a gun in their hand and shot the person sitting in the back seat and the bullet passed through them and left a hole in the back of the back seat yeah i mean if you want to i mean now that you look at it like that there's certainly a possibility that that's what happened mm-hmm File that away for future reference. It's possible that someone was executed in the car, yes. That is an awfully clean knife you found, Professor. So, not too much of a, of a footwalk before you uh, is what you believe, the, the at least by visual, the primary entrance to this cave system. Uh, the area around here is dead quiet. You don't hear um, any other tourists... Uh, you don't hear um, or see any other lighting, so everything is shut down. So it's not very quiet. It's dead quiet. Mm. As said, yeah. yes, dead quiet. Well, except for Maggie, who likely does not stay quiet ever. Maggie is like humming and whistling as she's getting stuff out of the car. <laughs> ah, well, then I suppose we should um, make ready. 
which is definitely looking nervous. Simon, are you doing anything? Simon is going to stand up outside the car, have the Thompson in both hands, and uh, just waiting patiently for everyone else. All right. So I'd like to know um, just some very simple things. What are you bringing in with you and who is carrying it? Which one of you is carrying the 10-foot poles? Oh, we forgot the wheelbarrow. You did. Did we bring a shovel? So I was so excited about the car that I didn't... We did. We did bring a shovel. It's on the list. We have a list. I don't mind taking one of the poles and... um, What else? What else? I I, I could carry the saw. The saw on a pole. Hi. Good man. I'll gather up some bits and pieces. Whatever is on. You take a a pole and a shovel. Just whatever else I can carry. Okay. You're going to then... Head down there to the mouth of the cave. Actually, um, why don't you wait here for a moment? Let me go ahead, just uh, give it a quick check before we all troop down there. It won't be long. Yes, I think that's a good idea. I am going to, if I can, take a lantern with me, but um, hood it as much as possible. Uh, How much light is there around from the, the sky and any other possible light sources around? Mm. That is a great question. Let me pull up my 1925 lunar calendar. If I can possibly um, manage without any form of artificial lighting, so much the better. Mm. So... Given the date, um, you're looking at a, a new moon cycle, so there's not a ton of overhead. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try and hood the lantern as much as I possibly can, then just to just to give up enough light for me to uh, not stumble over things mm. as I as I make my way along. Okay, so you make your way very carefully down. I, I guess I would just ask you, Fraser, are you are you attempting to be stealthy as well? Absolutely, I am. Yes. Then I will ask for a roll. Surely. That is 36 under 69. Nice. All right. So you are being very careful. You manage the walk in probably about 10 minutes uh, being careful. And you notice a couple of things. The entrance to this cave system, first of all, is dark. But there's an important thing that you find here just observing the area and that is that there is definitely electric electricity and electric lights inside and so while it might be possible to get to the cave system in the dark it also might be possible to light it up should you so choose there's a walkway here it shares an entrance to the cavern with a river that river flows into the entrance on your left hand side The river disappears somewhere deeper into the cave. But it looks like the walkway leads to another one of these uh, narrow-gauge railways, right? Uh, You can see that there's a couple of small trolleys here that are likely meant just as they were for the other cave, which is to help tourists get around. Does there seem to be any more walkway or a path through, or is the rail track the only way of getting through from, from what I can tell? There is definitely a walkway. The 
difficulty that you're going to have is that there are doors which are barred here. And um, you can tell just from where you're at that they're fitted with a lock. Only I knew how to pick locks. Uh, okay, I'll keep scouting around as much as possible, see if there are any... There's like a little office or anything like that. See if there's any sign of anyone at all about. Uh, there is a small office building to just outside to the left of uh, the narrow gauge rails and the entrance area. Uh, you don't see any lights on there. You don't see a, uh, a curator or a caretaker uh, after hours. The place is, is uh, dark. Well, that's good. Um from what I can tell from the electric cabling, does it appear to terminate at that um, little office building? That likely to be where the switches are. Yep. I'll have a quick look around the uh, the rest of the exterior around here. Um, just get a, a, as good an idea of the lay of the land as I can, and then I'll head back to the others. Okay, you get a fairly good lay of the land here. The footing here is going to be the big question especially when it comes to probably the footwear choices of some of your compatriots, that is going to draw some concern. Uh, the walkways seem level and uh, in decent repair. You can tell that they see quite a few, uh, quite a few tourists on a, on a daily basis, and so that should be no problem. The biggest problem at this point will be getting into the place because it's been locked up. All right, well, um, I shall quickly and cautiously head back up um, and relay the information to them. So yeah, Mr. Fraser's gone probably about 25 minutes. And it's just about when you get a little concerned because he's been gone too long that there's some movement in the dark and uh, he appears. You can see the, the slightest glow from his lantern. <sighs> Sorry I was away so long, uh... Uh, doesn't appear to be anyone there. There's a small office there, but there's no night watchman or anything from what I could tell. There uh, is another one of these little railways in the place, but it is locked up. That's the one thing. We're going to have to find a way to get through the uh, barred gates. Well, I'm rather certain the professor is fairly proficient at lockpicking at this point. Uh, Maggie, do you have your hat pin? Oh, of course I do. I never leave home without it. Ah, perfect. Also seems to be um, electric lighting within the caves, but um, I'm cautious about the uh, prospect of turning it on, uh, because if there is anyone at a distance that might see the light coming out of the mouth of the cave, it might draw attention to us. If there is any way of perhaps removing the bulbs of uh, the caves leading in for a while, it might be worth switching it on, but we have a few lanterns here, and uh, my gut feeling is that they will serve us adequately. Oh, we have a gun, don't you? Surely you could, um, I shoot them away. Have you heard how loud a gunshot is at night? Ah, yes, I suppose. Oh, or maybe we can throw some rocks at them or something. I'm sure we can deal with that, but I would feel safer having the lights on. Well, perhaps you can uh, shimmy up the cable and uh, unscrew the bulbs. At uh, rocks, I think. Rocks. Unscrew the rocks. <sighs> right. Should, should, we, um, should we see to this gate, then? 
Come on, it's this way. Indeed, and away you go. And so the five of you very carefully begin your walk to the mouth of this cave. The silence here is exceedingly eerie. And there are very few animals in the distance, or in the present, for that matter. A lack of birds and a lack of light leave you nothing but your mind to wander as you make your way down this trail and eventually meet up with a road that uh, greets the mouth of this cave system. As mentioned before, you see a, a small building off to the side of the tourist entrance to the cave. Um, the cave itself has an opening which has been barred, uh, preventing entrance. It seems that uh, they're a little careful about maybe maybe just tourists playing in the cave when they're unsupervised. You see that narrow gauge railway that leads into the cave system again. Very similar to the, the one in the caves that you experienced. And so, now that the party is at the mouth of the cave system, what are you doing? Richard will simply look at Maggie. Remind me, Mike, how much information is in this journal? Well, about the cave system, there's only really mm -hmm. sparingly little, actually. Um, he's done some writing a little bit on it. He talks very distinctly about stalactites and stalagmites that he's you know gotten into but um and i don't know which one's which so that doesn't help me the personal journal does have some of his own um well some of some of his commentary on his family his family here in italy mm -hmm. but as far as in-depth knowledge of the cave system you don't find much find mm -hmm. a, very, a very short scrawled map there with really just, it looks like a preliminary mapping that he attempted to do, but he didn't get very far on it. Hmm. His journal doesn't have much in terms of a map or anything like that. But, uh, I suppose we're, we're searching blind down here, it seems. I wish we get this um, gate open then. Uh, all right, then. That's 16 under... I think that's a hard success. Let me just check. Uh, no, 16 under 30. It is not just. It's true. It's not. It could be. That is up to you. Should it be? Spend the luck. I'll spend the luck. I'll make it simple and old and rusty to the locks look. Mm. A lady never tells. I, I am no lady. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you you spend the, what, the point of luck to make it a hard success. And you, with, you know, Maggie's hat pin in hand, you take the lock and begin moving back and forth until you can properly, properly defeat the tumblers therein. And this time, Richard, you feel the, the movement of these tumblers sort of give way to the curvature of this pin. It goes in very smoothly. And before you know it, the lock is defeated. Ah, magic. <laughs> ah, you must patent these things. They're, they're marvelous. And he gives uh, Maggie her hat pin back. I'll take it back. When we go through, Richard, I suggest that we 
close the gate over in such a way as it appears to still be locked up, but uh, can be easily opened should we need to do so quickly. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. I, I, I'd hate to see more of these um, uh, uh, fez-wearing gentlemen appear. I, I think that would be an excellent dis- uh, deterrent. Right. So the, the gates, both the doors, these gates both open outward. So my question will be is if you are trying to secure them after you shut them, how will you do that? What sort of locks on there? Is there like a padlock on the outside? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, we could just maybe just hang the padlock and lock it through one of the things and then just close it so to the casual observer all they'd see is a padlock on the the outside of the gate, if that makes sense. Which oh, is makes sense to me. Quite a lot of the time, if you drive past the barrier in a public place and you see a padlock on it, it's not actually locking anything. It's just kind of there looking, looking good. How many public places have you broken into, Martin? Would you like a list? He does like a public place. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story behind that, but that's for another day. For spelunking. Mm. You enter. As I said, the, the walkway here shares uh, a little bit of space at the entrance of the cavern on the left-hand side with a river that flows uh, just just nearby. Uh, it disappears, even with the lantern light, it disappears into darkness, not thereafter. It goes underground. Uh, there's uh, wiring for electric lighting overhead, but it's not being used. And so you're left to lanterns and torches. Do I think that um, it would be feasible to take out a few bulbs, first few bulbs leading down into the caverns, um, and... Uh, be able to turn the if we turn the, the lighting on that it would illuminate further down into the cabins but not be seen well I think the difficulty it's feasible but the difficulty would be is reaching those bulbs and then if you wanted to turn the lights on in the cavern you'd have to go back into the house yeah. and turn them on not impossible but just it would be important to sort of give me an idea about what you were going to do so that I take it the light bulbs are, are um, fixed to the kind of cable screwed into the the top of the uh, the ceiling of the, the the cavern that kind of thing you would be correct um how high up is it mm. well the first few are probably anywhere between eight and 12 feet beyond that you're looking at about 15 and then they dip down a little bit further down does the path does the sort of cavern tunnel does it turn at all as it goes down, is there a point that I can see where the light would no longer be shining in such a way as it could be seen from outside, or is, is that going to be quite quite a distance down? That's probably a good, we'll just say 20 or so yards down. You'd have to remove probably five or six light bulbs to, to get the job done. Again, not impossible, just you'd have to make that choice. <sighs> Look up at the light bulbs and down at Richard. How good is your aim? Mr. Courtney. Ah, if you remember, I'm most excellent with a rock. Richard's kind of... Any any insults from Mr. Fraser now, he just lets them wash over him. Fraser looks at him and says, Man's death is never a joke, Professor. No. No, no matter I, who they are. I did save a couple from dying that day. Aye, that is true. So it would appear. Have at it then, sir. Richard will attempt to... Uh, Disson light bulb, the light bulb. Okay. This is a throw roll. And they all they're all throw rolls, right? Because you don't have a skill rock. Well, hang on a minute, no. Right. Can we construct a rudimentary catapult? Right, exactly. 
Um, this is not a mathematics roll. No. <laughs> nor a physics roll. We've got the vis- velocity of the oh, right. rock and yeah. <laughs> angle of trajectory. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to argue... Uh, 39 over a very dull base score of 20. Yeah, you threw a couple rocks. I'm not going to say it's just one at a time, because obviously we don't want to be here forever um, with, with you, <laughs> you chucking rocks at the ceiling. So I guess what I want to say is, how determined is Richard to break the light bulbs? Reasonably. Richard's kind of got this idea as well that if he throws a few rocks at the same time, then if, you know, they're more likely to hit. Sort of a flechette pattern then. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say after three or four minutes of throwing handfuls of rocks, you've probably busted, we'll we'll say three bulbs at this point. It's quite the um, labor of, of love. After a minute, I'm going to suggest he doesn't waste any more time and we just get on with it with lanterns because the others are all standing around twiddling their thumbs while he throws rocks at the ceiling. <laughs> He's very determined. You, you've broken, we'll say, a couple of bulbs. Um, you could shut the doors and then essentially hope that as long as someone wasn't in front of the doors of these... Uh, that leads deeper into the caverns, that you should be okay to turn the lights on, again, provided you actually turn them on. I mean, Fraser will go out and turn them on if, they, if, we, if we're going to do that. You can go to the house and you see the the panels, the levers that turn the lights on. Simple enough. I'll also have a wee look around just to see if there's anything in here that I think might come in useful for us. Mm, yeah, there's a couple of torches. Uh, you see a couple of... Uh, See a couple of heavy coats in here. Excellent. That'll do nicely. Yeah, you take the torches and the heavy coats after turning the lights on and head back into the cave. As you head back into the cave, Mr. Fraser, why don't you give me a spot hidden roll? Uh, was that a hard spot hidden roll? Yep. Yep. Alrighty, here we are. That is a normal spot hidden roll. Okay. And... I don't really want to spend because that's exactly on my spot hidden of 86 um, I rolled of 86 so I don't really want to spend 43 points of luck to make that hard success however if there is potentially opportunity to push this I am uh, willing to, to take it if not however then I'll just leave it as is I would say there is potentially more information so in this instance I'm ge- I guess I'm kind of coming back towards the uh, the gate with the coats over over my arm these torches that I found in my pocket do I perhaps catch sight of or, or think I've maybe caught sight of some movement or something like that or do I maybe hear something that possibly takes my attention And it's definitely a visual um, there's a you think you've gotten a reflection of something in the field there oh I think in that case I'll, I'll put down the things I'm carrying for a moment um, and uh, I will make my way a little bit closer, perhaps crouching down uh, a little bit and scanning scanning around the uh, the distance ahead of me um, as I go. But I, I'll douse my light as well, I think, as I do that. So <laughs> it's going to be you know, hard to see, I think. It might be. I don't want to be seen in case there is somebody there. I'll give this a shot. 25. It is a hard success. Across the field, into the road, and then up just up the hill there, 
you swear you see several dark shapes against the sky. What I mean by against the sky is there are there are silhouettes standing on that hill somewhere. And the sunset and the take on of twilight has happened to the point where it is fairly dark out here at this point, but there is enough brightness there. You just catch the peaks of the silhouettes. Right. Human person shaped silhouettes? Yeah, humanoid shapes, yes. Right. Okay. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go back into the um, kind of crouching down, moving, trying to make sure that I don't make a silhouette that they can potentially catch. Head back to the the building and turn the lights off again. Okay. So that is going to be a stealth roll Uh to remain uh, inobtrusive. Yep. 17 under 69. That's well done. You go back in and you shut the lights off. And so for the people inside the cave, the lights come on for a few minutes, maybe a minute or so. And you get to see deeper into these caves, very similar to the caves you were in before visually. You see the tracks. You see the trolley cars here. You see a little bit further down into the space that uh, that awaits you. It is filled with pathways that you can walk on. One pathway you can walk on. And then also this uh, trolley track. And then, without warning, the lights go out. Uh, I wonder if the broken bulbs have somehow um, uh, shorted the circuit to ground. I think I better head back and take a look at what's going on. All right. You step back out of the cavern entrance there, Simon. You are totally muted, sir. I'm going to be using cover. Which cover? If I need to, the car for one. Well, the car is parked pretty far away at this point. Well, you said we have gates here, right? Yeah, there are two gates. Basically, imagine this as two massive barn doors that have a barrier lock at the center of them. That's what that's what uh, the professor's unlocked to open them in. I'll be partly behind one of the doors looking out. Easy enough. Just go ahead and give me a spot hidden roll. 74 over 51. Yeah, you don't see uh, anyone out here this point i'd like to push the roll if i can you certainly can tell me how you'd be pushing it squint trying to hold out any light from the stars and trying because i know fraser went back and i'm trying to see if there's any movement over by the house okay go ahead roll and that's a 44 under 51 okay i don't remember fraser's stealth roll i don't know if it was a hard success in your stealth roll I think he did have a heart. Seventeen under sixty-nine. Yeah, so not a not you don't you don't see any movement out here that you can tell. You look directly at the house, and then uh, Fraser was was your idea to come back to the cavern after you'd shut the lights off? Yes. So I would say you would likely see the cavern doors now slightly ajar. You'd notice that as you were heading back towards them. Mm-hmm. I'll take my pistol out of my pocket. Make me a spot hidden roll. Okie dokie. Just being cautious. Oh, sure. My thinking is that it, it might be one of the others reacting to the fact that the lights have just gone off, but you never never can be too careful. Nope. Uh, 59 under uh, 86 for my spot hidden. Yeah, there's somebody standing in that doorway. It looks like they're staring out. They mm. maybe haven't seen you yet. Okay, I will 
I will move in a kind of slightly more circuitous fashion around to see if I can get a little bit closer, get a bit better look at them, see who it is. My guess is it's probably one of us, but I'm being overly cautious, probably. Yeah, you you take a bit of a, a circuitous route there, and then as you get close enough, you can see so- someone the size of Simon, who is would be very rare in Italy, given his overall build. Simon. Simon, is that you? Fraser, the lights are out. Hi, I turned them out. There's, there's somebody coming. Wish you'd told us. All right, where, where are they coming from? How could I tell them? They're, they're headed down, they're, they're over across the fields just now, but they're headed this way. They're not carrying lights. What do we do? Do we stay here and leave the others down below and open fire when they get here? We uh, take these and uh, grab the uh, the coats, two heavy coats I've got. Yeah, you take the two heavy goats. Right. Just um, get an, an idea. The lay of the land is... So, choices. We go and face them, or we hold the line here. Uh, here we have cover, but we risk the auto. They're going to check out the auto, of course, right? Um, perhaps. I'm not making any assumptions at this point. All right, well, I say we let them come to us. We've got some strong doors here that can definitely soak some bullets. Question about the doors that we've got here. Is it basically like a bar, a sort of a uh, barred gate? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it actually a solid door? No, it's actually a solid door. All right, okay. It's a solid door with a single metal bar in the middle, which is where the locking mechanism sits at. Mm, okay. And while they don't completely cover floor to ceiling, the opening of... The, the cave entrance it is a good eight or nine feet of door here which you imagine is to prevent tourists and kids and whatnot trying to climb over and yep <sighs> so we have cover here how many shapes do i see approximately do i think uh, two maybe three okay right so not we know they're coming we've got cover now I'm not entirely sure whether I brought my rifle with me or or not. I'm going to say I probably didn't because... I I would say to Mr. Fraser, they were not moving. They were standing still. Oh, oh, right. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought they were moving. So they were not moving. They were standing. Hmm. So perhaps waiting, observing. Do we go to them or do we wait here and complete our business? Hmm. That's a very good question, one I don't have a very good answer for at this point. Why don't you go back and um, tell the others? I'll keep a lookout here. I'll go ahead and head down. You got this? For the time being, I. Miss Bellinger, make me a power roll. I can certainly do that. It's a 50 under 75. In the entrance of the cave there, there is a slightest of temperature change here. Your ankles are a little cold and you feel that cold breeze work its way up your leg. So is there a, a chill here, Richard? Does Richard feel cold at all? Oh, blood's pumping from all throwing all those rocks. You're, uh, you don't feel cold at all. Uh, no, no, I feel quite myself for once. Is this a familiar chill? One I may have imagined on my leg at a time? Oh, yes. Oh, Richard, I believe that we're on the right track. 
Uh, are you okay? Oh, yes, I'm quite fine. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Richard is contemplating playing with something. Does the cold... Is the cold beckoning me? It, it isn't that the cold is, is beckoning you so much, Maggie. It is... It's the association of the sensation with the the goal, the the thing you're the thing you're trying to do, mm-hmm. and and the ride here and the fight with the, the the person who you remember being in Milan, in mm-hmm. Venice, and just all of those compounding emotions. And so when you feel that very distinct turn of temperature on your ankle, you get invigorated to find the source yes and as maggie has suggested in the past and knowing that it does not take a very much to push richard over the edge uh maggie might suggest to richard we did we did uh, try the device in the house we didn't we the, the no there were no parts there so we didn't see anything but Perhaps here, Richard, because the map the map does not have enough, but you, Richard, you might be the key. I think you you are the map. You 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 can see. You can I see other see. things that we can't. I can, that's 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 right. You won't even need the light to see, you just just need to put it on. That's uh, just about the encouragement he needs. Alright, Professor. So while you um begin digging into your pocket to find something to play with. I suppose, gentlemen who are at the back, will you be heading back out or closing the gates? Simon, I believe, is heading back down to join the others to tell them what's happening. I am staying outside to keep uh, my eyes peeled. All right. You begin keeping your eyes peeled. Putting on one of these heavy jackets. I'm wondering as well if I could potentially get away with pretending to be a night watchman or something along those lines. Not having any um, Italian or I'm not actually sure what language would be the, the main the, the main speaking language of Yugoslavia, to be honest. Where you are, I think it's a mix of both Italian and Slovenian. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that um, sounds quite a bit right, actually, given... There'd be a lot of um, walkover between that Slovenian. There's probably people who speak Italian here as well. You probably would get a smattering of a few other languages. The official language in the 20s would have been Serbo-Croatian, but definitely in that area, there'd be a lot of uh, Turkish and Italian as well. All right, then, Professor, um, give us your lens choices. So Richard will choose blue and green. Right, and your purposes for choosing them are? So blue, we have um, sort of microscopic detail, kind of close, um, really as opposed to something sort of more distant. And green, we're kind of looking just a little bit further into the future here, as in this is what we're looking for. So we certainly don't want to be looking in the past. Um, And Richard's just, just basically scared of the black lens now. He doesn't really know what it does, but... I don't know, bad things just happen when he uses it, so... (laughs) It might be fine, it may just be a coincidence, but no, no black. Mm. Fair enough. Go ahead and give us a power roll, sir. 
Indeed. There's a problem here, but we'll come across that in a minute. Uh, Richard succeeds on a 56 under 80. Very good. We'll roll a d6 now. And this is where the problem lies. That was a five. Unfortunately, Richard only has one magic point left. Now, we'll be careful about this because it has been several hours since he used it last time. And since he's not done anything what we would consider extraneous except the barn and maybe a little bit of rock throwing, he would have recovered at least four MP along the way. So gather that into what you have and then tell me your final number. That would be five. Yeah, it would be five. You rolled what, a five? Yeah, yep. Okay. Here's my question, Professor. You really want to see what's on the other side of this lens, yes? Really, really does. Good. Spend a point of hit points. Yeah, that's fine. It's for Maggie, after all. She asked him to do it. She did. She did. And we all, as we all know, the Professor would do whatever he needed to do to make sure Maggie got what she, what she needed. And so when you slap this device on your face and the lens and the apertures click into place with this sort of sickening mechanical sound you begin to see in the colors you've requested for those close to richard which would likely just be maggie and probably lady elizabeth given some of the things that are going on it would be very noticeable that richard pales the longer this mask stays on you can see his skin pale a little bit but what i'll offer you professor is the vision and that is a pair of delicate hands clasping a medallion and then reaching out and giving it over to a strange set of appendages. We would say another. And you hear a voice in the back of your head call and scream. And you see an overhead scene of a damp cave where many men begin to get attacked and, and viciously murdered by bladed weapons. You see men in different colored cloaks stabbing each other. And all of these come, all of these visions come very rapid form. Mm. Does Richard recognize these appendages at all? Are they, they familiar? They are not. They are not terribly familiar. The easiest thing you could equate them to is if they were some deep sea pseudopod. Eek. And the device clicks and hisses and falls back into your hands. Richard will tell Maggie exactly what he's seen. Oh, and sorry, just one other quick question. Do, did the hands look like Maggie's hands? Hmm. Or could they have been anyone's? They could have been maybe anyone's. Anyone with a, um, we'll say, non-workman hands. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, yes, we're in the right place. I'm not entirely sure where that is, but um, I saw a vision of somebody handing over that uh, medallion. The, meda the one that Lady Elizabeth has? Ah, yes, yes, I believe that was the one. So it must be a key of some sort. In the past? Um, well, no, I... I thought it was in the future, though I did see also a vision of um, people in cloaks sort of fighting with bladed weapons, which sounds very much like it should be in the past, but um, I don't know, it's... Uh, I'm still learning this thing. Take out the medallion. Ooh. 
Uh, you take out the medallion and it is warm hands. You feel a, a rush, a sensation of vital energy sort of surge through your body. It feels like a, a warm, I don't know, a, a warm blanket that you hold in your hands. The cavern, probably very cold to others, but you haven't felt the bora or the cold since you picked it up. Well, it's certainly warm. It's quite pleasant, actually. Yes, but can that thing tell you where we're supposed to go down here? We, where we can find the next, the next piece. Well, I can try. I'll take a few steps in different directions to see if it gets warmer or colder. Well, it doesn't so much get warmer or colder. It does continue to contain its warmth for you, and it's a beautiful medallion. You easily drift off into staring at it and appreciating it. Hmm. I don't think it's a sort of dowsing rod, Miss Bellinger. Just keep looking at it. It's nice and cozy. Mr. Fraser, the men, the silhouettes, either they've moved and you can't see where, or they haven't moved. It's very difficult to continue to make them out. You've, of course, had to to move around a little bit, and so that you've taken your eye off the ball, and, and that that can prove problematic, but... You know they're out here. You know that someone is out here. Hmm. I think what I'll do is I'll hunker down, close that door over, just so it's closed, and again hang the padlock on the uh, on one side of it to you know give the impression. And if I can find somewhere where I can secrete myself so that I can see but not be seen, inside or outside, outside. I'm not sure if inside I would have anywhere that I could see out and, uh, unless I'm kind of standing on, on a, a set of ladders peeking over the top. And I'm assuming there's not a set of ladders knocking about here. No, it, it wouldn't be impossible, I suppose, for someone to climb on the cables high enough. Well, if I can do that. To, to get a, a bit of a bird's eye there and still... Yeah, I, I could see that. That would be perfect, actually. If I can be inside and climb up so I can just sort of peek over the top of the wall and get a get a decent view of anything coming. I was kind of thinking, I wish I brought my rifle with me. Damn it. All right. So, Richard, Maggie, then, are any ideas heading deeper in? Well, I'm always in favor of going deeper, but... I knew you, I knew you would say that. I'm, I'm counting you. on it. Thank you. Have I caught up to them yet? You have caught up with them. I'm going to speak to Lady E first, because she's the most responsible of the three down here. Lady E? Yes, Mr. Griffith? We've got company upstairs. Do you guys, are you all three of you able to take care of it down here on your own? Because I may need to go help Mr. Fraser. Or do you need me to accompany you? Lady E looks slightly perplexed at being called you guys. I rather think we can handle ourselves down here as long as you make sure no one else gets in. I, I think we can do that. Very well. You, would you let the other two know? And I'll head back up then. Off you go then. Thank you, ma'am. Ma'am is certainly preferable to you guys. <laughs> Just another American you're going to have to teach how to address. Quite. So I'll let Richard and Maggie know. The other gentlemen are going to uh, ensure whatever they see outside doesn't get in while we keep looking for the peace. Shall we go? I'm still holding the medallion and just kind of holding it really close. Richard says, oh no, um, 
I really hope there aren't more of those troublemakers coming. We had enough laughs last time. Now, one of Maggie's thoughts here is that maybe she can somehow reach out to um, Comte. Um, ask, pray for him, pray to him for help. <laughs> really? What she wants to do, she wants to open up her mind and her body to him uh, so that he can guide her. Look, me and him are a team, and I know that he wants me to accomplish this job. I want to accomplish this job. Richard's not been a lot of help, been very cryptic with his message. Useless. <laughs> so, uh, I have to go to the next man in my life for what I need. Next man up. And while he is incorporeal, uh, he can still get the job done. All right. So how would you care? Would you care to attempt to mentally reach out to him? Yes. Okay. So I think what would be fun is if um, we attempted perhaps some um, spontaneous Cthulhu mythos rolling as in telepathy. Um, we'll do so with Pow because Pow is our fun attribute. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say that um, if Maggie can summon up a hard Pow roll, okay, we'll we'll see what happens from from that that point on. Okay, mm, it's a fifty-seven under seventy-five. It would take you twenty points. <laughs> I know, which is exactly what I have. Hmm. And I want to spend it so bad. Martin seems to think I can push this roll, uh, but I don't know if I can <laughs> on a power roll. <laughs> um, I I don't think that you are um, in tune enough so. with, with your own telepathic abilities yet to push this roll, at least without mm-hmm. <laughs> completely destroying your mental state. Actually, I have 25 luck. I was looking at my hit points and not my luck. And Maggie's really at a loss. She's feeling very frantic. She had that moment back in the car. She's frustrated with Richard for not being able to find her the answer. She's frustrated with his journal for not giving her the answer. She's frustrated with that freaking coin that Lady Elizabeth has, also not having the answer. Uh, so I'm going to spend 20 luck. All right. Well, on your head, so it be. Um, she spent 20 luck. Mm-hmm. And you focus very, very keenly on connecting with a person who you've connected with before. And it's hard to explain what it's like when a secondary presence enters your mind. Imagine, if you will, the left side of your head and your ear there. And it almost feels like a doorway has been opened into the side of your head. And you, you get a after image of a pale face, a very well-refined visage for a moment, and then the much more decrepit state of that face for a moment, and then yet again it is flush and healthy. And you hear his voice again. This time far closer than it was at your side. You hear him without without any echo from the cave surroundings. And he says in French first. My sweet Margaret. And then he pauses. And then you hear it reiterated in English. And the 
strangest part for you mentally is that you understand as an after echo both parts as if you don't need a translator and he says where are you where is the piece uh, I'm I'm here do you uh, do you mean the coin do you need the core trying to find the piece no damn the coin damn coin there is a, there is a piece deep in that cave I want you to get it me I want you to get it for us we must succeed. I, yes, I, I will. I will get it for you. I just, I needed guidance to, to, to find my way. There is a path in front of you. Cave. Stay right. Do you understand? Yes, I, I will. I will. I will stay. I will stay the course. I will. I will find the peace. No matter what stands in your way. Of course, it, it'll, it will be mine. It will be, it will be ours. And then we can fly together again, like you promised. The air awaits your presence. Maggie's begun to move. Well, before she moves, was she talking out loud or in her head? That's a question only she can answer. Oh, out loud! I would. I don't think I'd even think to think it. <laughs> I would just be talking, like you talk to a friend that's there with you. Sure. It'd be weird if I was like. Okay, the guys, the Comte came and talked to me in my brain, then I'd be crazy. But if I'm talking to him out loud, then I'm not crazy. Lady's looking at Richard like, who is she talking to? Richard's looking concerned because I believe Maggie's just expressed sort of dissatisfaction with Richard's efforts. Publicly, yes. And now it seems that she's moving down the path. Come along, we must stay to the right. Uh, Maggie, who, who was that you were talking to? Oh, why, the, the Comte, of course, Fenelink. <clears throat> you what? I beg your pardon? He's helping us. Richard just looks at uh, Lady Elizabeth with his mouth sort of wide open and just with utter disbelief on his face. I think that's as good a time to end as any. So thank you so much for joining us on this uh, episode of Horror on the Orient Express. When we return to our investigators, I am certain... They will continue to plumb the depths of these caves. I wish you all a good night.